pray this message blesses and encourages you. Thank you so much as always. Cheers, Nicholas. Thank you. So we are in week three of our Strong and Courageous series, looking at the life of David. So just if we do a quick recap over the last couple of weeks, Pastor Sean kicked us off in week one with a bit of background and the story of God's people demanding that Samuel find them a king so that they could be like all the other nations around them and have someone strong that would lead them in battle. So Saul was chosen as the king to lead the nation. And while he was initially a good leader, he eventually kind of fell out of favor with the people and with God. So God told Samuel to go and anoint David as a kind of a king designate. But there was obviously a long wait then between when Samuel anointed David and when he actually became king. So that's what Pastor Darren covered last week, just looking at those waiting seasons, those times of waiting between when the promise was given and the promise coming to pass. But we obviously couldn't have a series on courage and the life of David without mentioning the big one. So this week, we probably have the one that you, you all knew was coming, the blockbuster, the epic showdown between David and Goliath, boy versus giant, shepherd versus warrior, swords and armor versus pebble power. I know, sorry, it's cringe. I didn't make it up, but there's very little that hasn't been said about this particular battle. So even people who've never been to church or know very little of the Bible have heard something about the story of David and Goliath, so much so that the term Goliath has even entered our contemporary culture as a kind of a, a metaphor or a byword for the giants that we face in life or the, you know, the giants of the corporate world or the sporting world. They're called Goliaths. So what is it about this particular story that captures people's attention so much? Well, I think we all love a good victory story, don't we? Like the underdog getting the better of the bigger, the better, the, the boy overcoming the giant. But if we're a little bit honest, I think there's something in us, maybe it's something in our flesh that enjoys a good fight story. I don't know about you, maybe it's an Irish thing, but the Irish tend to be fond of a good scrap. And I'm not talking about myself, of course, I was never in a fight in my life, thankfully. But when I think back to school, probably once a month, something would kick off in the schoolyard and two lads or two girls on occasion would end up going at it. And the whole school would come running over to watch, you know, crowding around and jumping up and down and doing the, the aggro chant. And the poor teachers would have to try and force their way through the crowd to try and break it up. And then afterwards, the whole school would be talking about the great excitement or there might be a plan for a sequel or a part two after school. You know, there was just something about it that just drew you in. You couldn't help but watch and be drawn to it. And I'm not condoning that kind of behavior or glorifying fighting or anything like that or saying it was great. It wasn't. So please don't go complaining to Pastor Sean after the service about me. I'm just making the point that we can all have a bit of a fascination with fighting, or at least we did before we grew up and got older or got all sanctified. Amen? And the funny thing about these schoolyard battles is that they would often start over the stupidest of reasons. You know, someone might just happen to brush off someone in the corridor and an argument would break out, or maybe one guy talked to a girl that a guy fancied or some other silly reason. But invariably, before almost every one of these fights, you'd hear five words. You can probably guess what they are. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? But obviously, they wouldn't be said like that. 
to be a bit of adrenaline flow. And so chances are the phrase would be said at a kind of a more rapid pace. It'd be more like, what are you looking at? Or if the fellow was a bit more cocky, there be, might be a bit of emphasis thrown into the sentence somewhere. It'd be more like, what are you looking at? And on the surface, it's a fairly random question to ask, obviously, in that particular situation. Like, how are you actually supposed to answer that question? Because if you say, I don't know, or if you say nothing, then the person might think that you're saying that they're nothing and that wouldn't go down well. So I'm yet to hear a good answer to the what are you looking at question. But if we apply it to the story of David and Goliath and look a bit deeper, we'll see that it's actually a really powerful question to ask ourselves every time we come up against a giant or we're fighting something. What am I looking at? So if David and Goliath took place today, particularly if it was in Dublin, Goliath probably would have said to David, what are you looking at? And we'll see as we get into our scripture passage for today, David probably would have said, I'm looking at my God. So there are lessons, obviously, that we can take from the life of David and how he approached this battle with such courage, how his perspective of God, what he was looking at, enabled him to beat Goliath in one of the most famous battle stories ever told. So we're going to get into the text. We're going to be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you'd like to turn there in your Bibles and the verses will, will also be on screen. So do follow along because we have a, a good bit of passage to get through today. Make no apologies for that. The more the word of God that goes out, the better. Amen. So 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 1 says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the Valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. Verse four, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span, which is nine foot nine. To, to you and me. So this guy was huge. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron, pot, iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. <coughs> Excuse me. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now, around this time, as Pastor Darren mentioned last week, David was a shepherd out in the field, minding his father, Jesse's sheep. So one day, David or Jesse asked him to go to the battle line and see how his brothers, who were in the army, were doing. So he reaches the valley, and in verse 21, it says, Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. 
Verse 26, then David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So Saul, the king, who's the one who really should have been fighting, gets wind of what David has been saying and he sends for David. So he tells him, you know, you won't be able to fight him. You're just a boy. But David says to Saul, verse 34, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So we're going to leave the scripture there for a few minutes because even at that point, there's a few things that we can learn from how David approached this battle. So if you remember, he's known as a man after God's own heart. So he had God's perspective. So if you picture it, there's a battlefield. The Philistine army are on one side, the Israelite army are on the other, and there's a a valley, huge valley in the middle. And a nine foot nine giant is shouting day after day after day, taunting the Israelite army. And they were terrified. And then David, just this boy, probably about 15 years old, rocks up to the battle lines. And he doesn't even have to think about it. He hears Goliath shouting out and he's like, hang on, who does this guy think he is defying the armies of the living God? Everyone else was focusing on Goliath, focusing on the giant, this warrior and his weapons and his armor. But David was focusing on something else. So what was it? What was David looking at? Well, in verse 26, David says, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So right from the get-go, David approaches this battle from a position of victory. It doesn't even enter his head that Goliath might come out on top. He says, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine? So there was no humming and hawing. There was no weighing up like a sort of a risk or reward situation. What happens if we win? What happens if they win? As far as he was concerned, this giant was coming out against God's people. So it was only a matter of time before he would be taken out. Like the victory was a certainty. There was no ambiguity or doubt about it. Because David wasn't looking at what everyone else was looking at. And the next question that he asks tells us that. I love this. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So people were looking at Goliath, this giant Philistine, but David is focusing on one attribute of Goliath in particular, the fact that he was uncircumcised, this uncircumcised Philistine, he says. See, back then, not today, thankfully, and all the men in the house said amen, circumcision was a marker of God's possession. So it symbolized God's covenant with his chosen people, starting with Abraham, where God told him, I'll make you into a great nation. I'll multiply your descendants. I will bless you and I will curse those who curse you. So that's what David is focusing on. He's looking at what obviously couldn't be seen in the natural, but obviously in the supernatural, Goliath was an uncircumcised Philistine outside of the covenant, outside of the promise of God, and he was cursing God's people. 
And God said, I will curse those who curse you. So David could be sure of the victory. He was focusing on the covenant and that covenant gave him courage. And then the next thing he was focusing on is in verse 34. It says, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So David was looking back as well over the victories that he had had in his past. And that gave him the trust in God and the courage to know that he could go up against Goliath. He knew that God had done it before and that God would do it again. So we're going back into the text and we'll see how David goes on to defeat Goliath. So Saul had said, right, if you want to fight him, go ahead. And he gives David his armor to go into battle. But David tries it on and it was obviously swimming on him because he was just a boy. He says, I can't go in this. I'm not used to it. So he takes it off. He goes then to a stream and picks up five stones and he takes his sling and he goes and approaches Goliath. Verse 45, David says to Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword, or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. So it's epic stuff. Like it's obviously a great story, really encouraging and uplifting, and we could just leave it there and say, isn't our God great? He fights our battles and go home. But I think it's so important, particularly with well-known scriptures like this, that we actually stop and think, okay, how does God want to speak to me or to us as the church through this? Sometimes we can struggle to make things like biblical battles really relevant to our lives. Most of us, thank God, will never be in a physical battle situation. So it can be hard to apply these kind of stories to our own story. And even when we try to, we can oversimplify things and just say, okay, David was brave, so I should be brave. David had courage, so I should have courage. If we try to muster up something from inside ourselves instead of relying on God and focusing on the reasons why David could have that courage. The reality is David could have that courage because of what he was focusing on, because of what he was looking at. Like we're not going to face a nine foot nine giant who wants a scrap, but each of us have giants in our lives that we face every day or as we move through different seasons in our lives. And like Goliath, your giants 
seem huge and they occupy space in your head. And like Goliath, your giants call out to you morning and night. It's the first thing you think of when you wake up in the morning and the last thing you think of before you go to bed at night. Giants like a medical diagnosis or grief, past hurts, past or current abuse, family struggles, a difficult boss or a work situation, bullies, addiction, financial problems, uncertainty about your future, pressures. Like there are young people here today and the pressure that you're under to conform, you know, to give in to all sorts of stuff that, that God doesn't want for you because he has so much more for you. You're going to school or college every day and trying to live for God when the whole world around you, it seems, is ridiculing Christians and they're rejecting you. That's a giant. And it would be really dismissive of me to just stand up here and just say, oh, just trust God, you'll be fine. Be brave, feel the fear and do it anyway. Like your giants bring real situations that need real intervention, like divine intervention. That's why we have a prayer team up here after the service every week that can stand with you and pray with that weapon. Emotional intervention. That's why we have pastoral care teams and op opportunities for, for fellowship and community where you can share with people what's going on in your world. Like these are things that we do as part of a church corporately to help dismantle those giants. But there are things as well that you can do as an individual. There are things that we can learn from David in this story that we can apply to our own lives and our own perspective. So the first thing that we can do is learn to fight on God's terms, not on our own terms or with our own weapons. David knew that he wasn't going to be able to go in to battle wearing Saul's armor or with Saul's weapons, so he took them off. He wasn't relying on the weapons. He says in verse 45, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. In verse 47, it says, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord, and he will give you into our hands. So what battles are you, what weapons are you trying to use in your battle? Because if you try to do it with the armor of the world or in your own strength, you won't win. David didn't say, you come at me with a, with a sword, but I'm coming at you with a sling. He said, I come at you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. So David knew that nothing but God was going to help him to win that battle. And he just needed to take what God had put in his hand, the sling and the stone, and the Lord would do the delivering. It didn't matter what the weapon was. It, it could have been anything. God just used what David had in his hand. So maybe for you here today, your weapon can be prayer. Maybe it can be worship. Maybe it's joy, having a, a joyful spirit and a joyful, you know, just attitude. Whatever it is, as long as you're willing to use it, God can take it and you will see deliverance and victory over your giants. But maybe you're at the stage where you're not fighting at all. Like maybe at the moment you're a bit like Saul and the Israelite army and you're out of fear. You're just immobilized and standing off on the hill at a distance. But David's tactic was offensive. 
he ran to Goliath. He took the battle to him. And then when he defeated him, that's what gave courage to the rest of the army too. Verse 52 says that, when, that the Philistines fled and the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and the gates of Ekron. Your victory will give courage to others. Your friends, your family, your children. You need to kill your giants so that the generations after you won't have to face them. And that might be a word for, for someone here today. You need to kill that addiction. You need to kill that anger. You need to kill that anxiety, that depression. You need to allow God to heal those hurts because if you don't, you'll pass them on. Like you'll bleed on people who weren't responsible for those wounds. So David just had to come off the sidelines and confront the giant, use what was in his hand, and God would do the rest. God gives victory to those who use his weapons and his armor. Yes, there are things that we can do to go on the offensive against our giants, but ultimately he wants us to trust in him to defeat them. Proverbs 21, 31 says, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. So we can make ourselves ready, but ultimately he's sovereign. We're not going in our own strength. Jeremiah 17, 5 says, cursed, that just means that problems come to the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Verse seven then says, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. So the world or the flesh or looking to ourselves won't give us anything that we can use against our giants. The battle against Goliath is always God's battle. It's not David's, it's not ours. So we have to look to him. And if we're not looking at God, if we take our eyes off him and focus on the giant, then we magnify the giant or we can lose focus and start looking at the wrong things. And we see that in David's life too. Like he was called a man after God's own heart, but he made mistakes primarily when he took his eyes off God. So the same David that stared down a giant and got victory, stared at Bathsheba from the rooftop and got himself into a world of trouble. So the days that, that David focused on God, giants fell. And the days that he didn't, he fell. So we have to keep looking to God, looking at our giants from the perspective of a great God who fights our battles if we let him. Amen. So I'm just going to ask the, the worship team to come back. <clears throat> so I mentioned at the beginning that this is one of the most famous battles in history. And as we've seen, there are lots of ways that we can take this story and apply it to our own personal situations. But in doing that, we need to be careful not to oversimplify it, I suppose, into a David overcame a giant and got victory, so I can too story. Like that might be useful and encouraging and uplifting and exactly what you need in that season. It's good stuff. But what's even more useful for us to realize is that this story points forward to a much bigger battle. One that whether you realize it or not, you were part of. And it changed the course of history for not just David or not just the Israelite army. 
but it changed the course of history for all mankind for all of time. See, we can hear the story of David and Goliath and think, that's great. I can be like David. I can overcome giants with God's help and for his glory. And that's true. But in doing that, we have to be careful not to place ourselves as the hero in the story. Like David knew that he wasn't the hero of the story. He said, I come in the name of the Lord. We're not the hero of the story. In reality, we're more like the Israelite army hanging back on the hill, waiting for the hero to come. But thankfully, the hero did come. 2,000 years ago, our savior Jesus was born in the town of David. And then he went to the cross and fought a battle for us that we could never have won. He overcame the giants of sin and death. So David, Goliath came up against David in scaly armor and taunted him. And the enemy of our souls caused sin to enter the world through the temptation of a scaly serpent. So yes, this story is about <clears throat> overcoming your personal giants, which will change your story and impact the people in your circle and future generations. But Jesus winning the battle changed the history of the whole world forever. And we can never lose sight of the fact that this story points to a much, much bigger battle that we could never have won. So Jesus took down the biggest giant there ever was. And we can walk in that victory today by faith. So David won that battle by faith and faith alone. And we take hold of our victory by faith alone too. Because of that victory, because God did not spare his own son, but gave him for us, we are more than conquerors. So what are you looking at? God or Goliath? God or your giants? And yes, there are going to be giants. I'm not denying that. There are going to be battles. But Jesus' victory means that no matter what giants we face, whether we feel like we're in battle after battle, and we may even feel like we're losing battles, the truth is that we ultimately win the war, not because of anything we've done, not because we're the hero, but because Jesus has done it all for us on the cross. Because of him, it's God over Goliath, it's God over your giants, and it's God's glory over everything. Let's stand and glorify. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you'd like any more information, please visit stmarkcity.ie. Have a very blessed week.